red meat has always been my favorite food. Steak has always been my favorite food my entire life. So it's interesting to me now in retrospect to look at that version of myself that that accepted the cultural programming of red meat being demonized, that I thought, oh no, if you just eat red meat, you'll die and of a heart attack in a couple of weeks. Whereas it was a failure to trust my own intuition or listen to my own body. Um, and there's something to be said for that, right? There, that there, yeah. The cultural programming angle is intended, I think, to dissociate you from your own gut instinct or, or uh, primary preferences, something like that. Exactly. And it's very important that we get back to that, right? Like you need to learn to listen to your body, listen to your intuition, make decisions from the gut, follow your heart, you know, all of these things. They're, they're very important to uh, leading a fulfilled life. Like our civilization is going to this place where there are hidden risks everywhere. Yeah. You know, our, it's not just in one category. It's not academia that's having a problem and food is not having a problem. Right. Or it's not food and engineering or bridges or, you know, finances or the derivative market again. Right. You know, it's not one of these things that's having a problem. It's everything. And so that means that the onus is on us if we're going to reform this system and not just like vote for anarchy. Hey everybody, welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor-based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. Looks like a mini iPhone, a little touchscreen and camera on it. Uh, The device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS, it's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high-res three-inch touchscreen. It's got a camera for air-gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's a really a, a brand new UI, UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Ledin. Ledin lets you do more with your digital assets. For instance, Ledin offers a B2X loan product that lets you leverage your existing Bitcoin to buy even more Bitcoin. Or you can also get traditional Bitcoin collateralized U.S. dollar loans through Ledin as well. Ledin also offers both Bitcoin and USDC denominated savings accounts, letting you generate yield on your digital assets. Recently, Ledin has launched a Bitcoin mortgage product as well that lets you use Bitcoin to buy a home or finance one that you already own. So go to Ledin.io, that's L-E-D-N.io today to sign up. Philip Meese, welcome to the What Is Money Show. Hi. It's great to have you, man. Good, good. Glad to have you here. Um, we 
This has been a long time coming. The Meat Mafia podcast guys originally introduced us uh, when they were in Nashville, actually, and they gave me some of your bars. Uh, I guess I should mention by way of quick introduction, you are the founder of the Carnivore Bar. And I've always struggled with snacks since going on to the carnivore diet because you basically can't eat anything with a label. Everything's got seed oils in it or something else that, you know, sugar or something else that you don't want to eat. But when they gave me your bar, it was just, I think the ingredients were beef, tallow, salt, and there's one with honey and one without honey. Yeah. Uh, They originally gave me the one with honey and it was just fantastic. Just fucking delicious. And so now you've become like my exclusive when I when I travel, I don't eat, I fast, but I take some carnivore bars with me now to kind of like uh be the one thing that I do eat when I'm traveling. Um, awesome. That's exactly why I made it. So I was a combat medic and I served in Afghanistan. And uh one of the frustrations, uh, you know, it's it's a hellish place and obviously it didn't end well. So um you can't change the mission as a soldier. Like you volunteered to go to like subjugate yourself to this thing, hoping that you would be able to do some good. And as a medic, my job was to keep people safe, to keep them alive, to keep them functioning. And um, I saw a huge degradation as the year went on in people's health and wellness. Mm. Now, obviously, they miss their family. They, you know, aren't sleeping. They're <laughs> abusing caffeine, nicotine, and sugar. Um, but like the just absolute desolation of lack of healthy food was, you know, was way heavy. on me. I, you know, I sent uh jerky over there. I spent my own money on it and it ended up spoiling on the trip over. Mm. Cause if you, if you have a natural jerky, uh, it, the moisture in it, it condensates on the bag and can sour the entire thing, especially when you're sending someplace with heat contractions like the desert. Mm. And so I was like, God, there's got to be a way to have like a high fat, energy dense, like shelf stable uh, meat MRE is what we were looking for. We couldn't find it. It didn't exist. And so I said, well, if I ever get back, um, I'm going to figure this out. So I came back, made it with all my fingers and toes. Thank God. <laughs> and uh, found, uh, did some research on pemmican. Initially... I, I said, okay, well, it's missing these antioxidants, these, you know, phytochemicals. You need to stay alive. So it's a cool idea, but it's going to be insufficient. So there's no reason to develop it. You know, it'd be a fun weekend product. I'll make some weird meat bars, but, you know, that'll be the end of it. And then I found the carnivore movement, thanks to Peterson mm-hmm. on Joe Rogan talking about uh, Michaela, his daughter. And, uh, Basically, they had this you know, world-changing experience by eating only meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it had been about seven years. I went in 2012 overseas. I got terribly sick the entire time. I was eating anti-malarial like antibiotics. Mm-hmm. And so not only could I not get healthy food, but it wiped me out. And so I was like, meat MRE, terribly sick. How do I get better? You know, I was in the dumps, like hating my life, found Peterson. I was like, oh, maybe I can clean my room or do something pathetically, you know, progressively, you know, to improve my life, reduce my, at least my own suffering, if not anyone else's. And so then from there, uh, it was like, oh, well, what if this carnivore diet could help me? And then that clicked with me, MRE. And I was like, well, what if the carnivore diet could help me? And then if meat is all you need to survive, then that pemmican idea becomes suddenly viable again. Not only viable, it could be everything that you would need to survive. Like if you're on a desert island with one food and one food only, pemmican is by far the nutritional choice you should choose. It's like, well, what would anyone even buy this stuff? It's like, it's terribly expensive. It takes forever to make. It's like- Can you describe pemmican actually? Because a lot of people- I know what it is now, but I didn't previously. Could you just describe how it is traditionally prepared and what it is? Absolutely. So it is equal weight dried meat, a ruminant meat, um, so just red meat, and then uh, rendered fat. 
So rendered fat means like you take the suet or the kidney fat, the back fat of the animal, mm-hmm. and then you you render it down very carefully um, so as not to scorch it, and then you get all the moisture out of it. So you you get all the moisture out of the meat separately. You get all the meat very cut into thin strips. The Native Americans would sun dry it or smoke it. Uh-huh. And so this is extremely labor intensive. Then they would take a mortar and pestle and they would crush every single gram of protein by hand. And then they take that and they mix it into little balls with the fat. Uh-huh. So equal parts dried meat and dried fat together. The problem is, is that it's not very palatable. Uh-huh. And it, you know, if you're forming balls, outside with your hands this is not going to pass modern food regulations <laughs> so like you know i had to do some like scaling up and some thinking outside the box of how to make this in a modern way um but basically it's just beef tallow salt and we have one now that includes honey and so the idea there is everything your body needs nothing it doesn't mm. so no preservatives no crap because that was part of the problem of the degrading health that I saw in Afghanistan is that it was like eating glue. Like Mm -hmm. it just just like completely stopped all digestion. If you're eating MREs every day, right? Just heavily preservative laden, filled full of vitamins, but they're not bioavailable. MRE is meal replacement. E. I don't know the E what's the E meals ready to eat. Oh, meals ready. Okay. Gotcha. MRE. Yeah. So basically I wanted a meat, MRE, you know, as Carnot mm-hmm. was like, yeah. you kind of get the idea of meal replacement. If you're traveling, you can find meat, but it, it's difficult and you're at constant risk of exposure to seed oils like 100%. Yeah. And if you're sensitive to seed oils, it's not worth it. So for me, like this is a, a grand arc and narrative of getting terribly sick and like you know, running face first into a brick wall. That didn't work. And then basically taking that obstacle and turning it into my path and like figuring out a way to to do this. And so I came on the Pemmican. I asked Kickstarter, I asked carnivores, like, hey, would you like me to make this? Mm-hmm. And so they funded it. And so it, it funded from the community itself. Wow. And I met a lot of cool uh, Bitcoin carnivores. And it's like, there's all these interle- uh, you know, intersections of overlapped of these these ideas of, you know, you should be putting, you know, truth in your body. You should be putting what your body actually is designed to eat. You should be mm. spending money that doesn't, you know, degrade over time. Like our healths were degrading over time. It's like you want to be able to store your value mm. and, uh, you, know, rest- you know, maintain your health. There's going to be a volume under the curve. <clears throat> we'll live forever. Not yet, but like, you, you know, you're fighting for that volume. You're fighting for the quality of life. Yeah. And to just, you know, waste it on trash, on trashes commodity, which is your time. Yeah, no, it's well said. Um, I learned this recently, actually, that the word pecuniary, which means related to money, more or less, it actually comes from the word, uh, it's the Latin word pecuniarius, um, and from this word, uh, pecu, which originally meant cattle or money. So this relationship between beef and money goes way back, right? Cattle even used to be used as a form of money for, for a really long time. Um, and so, yeah, there, there definitely seems to be some relationship, but obviously we often talk about fiat food on this show. And that, that was essentially my problem is that after getting into the carnivore diet, there was nothing, I, there was no MRE, no meal ready to eat that I could eat. Like it, nothing in any grocery store anywhere fit fit the bill, so to speak. I mean, I guess you could say the exception would be like, uh, if you're a carnivore that eats fruit, right? You could pack an apple or a banana or something like that, but you couldn't get any nutrient dense MREs. And so that's why I was really, really tuned into your product. Um, and so I yeah, wonder, it, like, that relationship with with beef and money, you know, I, I think you mentioned something, too, that you knew you knew about a certain rune or something from an ancient language that, that related the two. 
Yeah, actually, uh, the Norse tradition is is feu. So feu is uh, cattle, wealth, abundance. And in subtext, it's actually mobile. You know, because there's this ancestral problem with meat. As soon as you kill the animal, like, well, you, your family better gather around because mm-hmm. we're not wasting this precious life. This mm-hmm. animal that we spent all this time and energy, you know, raising and cultivating and caring for. And so it's extremely, extremely perishable. The food that best suits human needs, in my estimation, is meat and it doesn't keep at all. So you have all these different ways of dealing with it. And the one that most um, modern people are familiar with is jerky. Mm-hmm. But jerky, even if it's made clean, um, is too lean. Mm-hmm. Like if you include the fatty bits in your jerky, it goes rancid. It mocks it up. So you're kind of at an impasse. If you don't put in an astronomical amount of work to make it uh, shelf stable, it won't be. And so the feu and the, uh, I'm going to misspell it, uh, pecan. Pecun- pecuniary, which pecuniary. comes from pe- pecun, yeah. Yeah, I want to say pecania. It's like, no, that's, <laughs> that's another cut of beef. My mind's yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, those ancient words, it's specifically value if it's on the hook. Mm. And that is a very important distinction because is it ancestrally, it would have been very, very uh, known that it, if it's on the hook, it's out there in the yard eating grass, it's fine for a bit. But as soon as you go to cut it, um, you have a big problem. And in the 1700s in the Western world, we use salt in abundance. We would do like salted pork. Trouble with salted beef is it dries out too, too much and it's too hard. You can't bite into it. Mm. So they would do salted pork because it's a little softer. Mm. It's higher poofa, a little bit less saturated fat. And so it cures better. And so they have these barrels of like salt pork that they have to like mm. dilute. And of course that's, you, you know, there's, there's regulations that there can only be like so many heads per barrel. Mm. It gets you an idea of the kind of cuts and the kind of savagery that like even 300 years ago uh, was it, was a necessity before refrigeration. Mm. But I believe that the Native American tradition of pemmican is way more like civil. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's this beautifully handcrafted, they would put it in parfletch or like a rawhide bag. And um, they realized very quickly that it became a valuable commodity. Whole wars were fought over pemmican mm. because if you're going out into the wild to trap for furs, like the Hudson Bay Company kind of era, mm-hmm. uh, pemmican was absolutely the best thing you could take, and so they would put um, they put these uh, little bags and then would color them, and they made it into like these stacks of pemmican that they would sell um, the Metsi people, um, and they basically gave us the knowledge of pemmican that we have today is because of that entrepreneurial engagement with those fur traders way back then. Had we, had they not engaged with us, it would have been one of the many traditions that we just kind of like blew over. It's like, oh, you know, we're so advanced as Europeans, we just ignore all these ancient traditions. Hmm. But the science, technology, innovation, and just like the the intelligence that they mm-hmm. had about like how these systems are supposed to work and how, you know, what the human body needs when it's exerting itself, mm-hmm. which is so much more self-sufficient, self-reliant, you know, kind of in line with the divine individual self-sufficiency of uh-huh. uh, distributed systems. Like you don't want to eat a bunch of sugar and cereal grains and rot your teeth and then need orthodontists and dentists and eye care and all these specialists that are, you know, parts of this civilization. It's like you want to be as healthy and vibrant as possible so you don't need that machinations of modernity. Uh, Because as soon as you start eating the processed food that we offer as part and parcel of our fiat world, uh, you know, you become vulnerable. Yeah, I'd say you would also argue argue that you become dependent, right? These things are very addictive, like 
I know a lot of people still addicted to sugar. Um, you know, it, it's really bad. And unfortunately, we are told the opposite. Like even I remember when I first discovered the carnivore diet, I was like, there's people that eat just red meat. I'm like, my first reaction was they must have heart attacks in like two weeks. But my reaction was a product of my cultural programming, which was, I mean, largely influenced, I would say, by the government food pyramid, right? That you should eat a lot of grains and carbs primarily, and then less and less as you work your way up. And I think, you know, red meat is near the top of that pyramid. You should eat red meat sparingly according to government guidelines. And that's just inconsistent with our evolutionary history. Yeah. It really is. And it's just it's just a, a travesty that we have all these these systems that kind of pigeonhole us into a fate that's out of our control. A financial fate is often what I hear you talk about. I'm a huge fan of yours. Um, but also in consent. Mm. You know, an optimal system is consensual. Mm. But you know, just like we see like sex trafficking as a problem with people who are given drugs and sedated. It's like, well, you can't you can't be consenting to something if you're maligned or your consciousness is has been suppressed. It's like that consent does not count. You're under the influence of something. Right. So in the same way, when we are given substandard food or food that's not optimal, you know, and we're addicted to carbs and sugar, it's like we are under the influence of something that that we don't understand. We have had such nutrient poor food for so long that we're so inflamed. Uh-huh. It's like we come to the doctor with trust and hope uh-huh. for relief. And so they come to the doctor and then they give us all these pills and then we go to the food pyramid and we go to the grocery store and we look for the heart healthy sticker and we look for the dietitians and basically if you're healthy and nothing bad has happened for you and you just eat what you crave, you're so much better off than going to these institutional experts. So true. Soon as you do, they pigeonhole you into this rat race where you're just constantly dependent. And because they haven't informed you, it's not informed consent. Right. And so you can't consent to something. You have been disabled. You have been popped up on pills. You've been popped up on sugar, caffeine, stress out of your mind. Now you add a couple autoimmune conditions to it. It's like, how in the heck are you supposed to think with a clear mind um, when the hard answer is you and I know is hit the books, do your own research, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's like that phrase is, is looks ridiculous if you imagine it because it is ridiculous. You're supposed to have a network of tribe that takes care of you. Yes. And we have a network that sabotages. Yes. Yeah. No, it's a great point. I, I think this is an important, I don't talk about this enough, actually. I talk about consent often, but there is this uninformed versus informed dimension to it. Right. And you could probably, I mean, you could argue, I think a lot of people that are, sometimes when I say something like taxation is theft, you know, taxpayers will respond to me on Twitter saying like, oh no, what do you mean? You know, who's going to build the roads and the schools and all that? The answer is very obvious. It's like the same people that do it now, private contractors, but they'll do it more cost effectively because they actually have skin in the game. The proceeds aren't stolen. They're exchanged consensually. But I think that itself, that, that counter argument coming from taxpayers is a manifestation of uninformed consent, right? Uh They consent to taxation because they don't understand economics. Um, And so I guess maybe part of our job here is to try and make consent more informed for people. And that's in the dietary sense, in the economic sense, and and all these other domains of our life. And something you said there too, like red meat has always been my favorite food. Steak has always been my favorite food my entire life. So it's interesting to me now in retrospect to look at that version of myself that that accepted the cultural programming of red meat being demonized, that I thought, oh no, if you just eat red meat, you'll die and of a heart attack in a couple of weeks. Whereas it was a failure to trust my own intuition or listen to my own body 
Um, and there's something to be said for that, right? They're, that they're, yeah, the cultural programming angle is intended, I think, to dissociate you from your own gut instinct or or uh, primary preferences, something like that. And it's very important that we get back to that, right? Like you need to learn to listen to your body, listen to your intuition, make decisions from the gut, follow your heart. You know, all of these things, they're, they're very important to uh, leading a fulfilled life. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin-enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it, legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian, Chris Rock. Insurance, you got to have some insurance. You got to, there's an insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance. They should just call it in case shit. <laughs> and I give a company some money in case shit happens. Now, if shit don't happen, shouldn't I get my money back? <laughs> so with CrowdHealth, instead of just paying premiums that you'll never see again, you can hold part of this pool of savings in dollars and in Bitcoin through CrowdHealth. And when you have a health event, you can draw against this pool of communal savings. So go to joincrowdhealth.com slash breedlove to learn more or sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. Wasabi lets you use Bitcoin privately while still maintaining full control over your money. Specifically, Wasabi Wallet is an open source, non-custodial wallet with privacy built in by default. By using Wasabi, you're effectively putting the private back in private property. Wasabi Wallet is an easy-to-use privacy wallet that can support any amount of Bitcoin transactions. So, go to wasabiwallet.io today to download this state-of-the-art wallet software. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Bitcoin Conference 2023. This three-day event will be held May 18th through 20th in Miami Beach. Uh, this is going to be the biggest event of the year, as it always is. And the past two years in Miami have simply been amazing. Uh, day one's industry day. Days two and three are going to be open to general admission. And I'd say this is a great place to go and network with Bitcoiners or even look for a job. Uh, just a really all-around great experience. There's a fantastic speaker lineup including Michael Saylor, Zoltan Pozar, Lynn Alden, Alex Gladstein, many others. And last year, we did a 10 million sats giveaway for this event, and we're going to do it again this year. So to get discounted tickets and enter for a chance to win 10 million sats, go to b.tc slash conference and use code BREEDLOVE. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Casa. Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, -A, today to sign up and use discount code BREEDLOVE. Your health, your wellness, your, your future, no, it's no less than your sovereign, you know, individual, like, at stake. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, like, there are all these hidden dangers. Like, I, I was recently listening to you uh, talk about the euro dollar system and all these hidden dangers in like the offshore dollars. Mm -hmm. And so this was in response to a question about derivative markets and externalized risk and then packaging those risks up. And it's like, well, now it's less risk. It's like, well, no, no. It's like, <laughs> it's like yeah, you just hit it under the rug. You've yeah. cleaned your room by throwing things under the butt bed and putting it in the closet. Mm -hmm. And so that means like the axiomatic like foundation of everything in our society is fraud. Yeah. And so that's a big problem with informed consent because as a medic, that's really important to me. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to do a procedure on you, like 
I have to make you sign an information sheet. And it's very important to me as a point of personal ethics that that information be as rigorous as possible. Because uh-huh. I want you to know all the dangers of a procedure before I do it. And then I want you to actually read it. Then I'm going to ask you, did you read this on this? And make sure that you understand. You know, because as, as do no harm being the the maxim of, you know, the father of, of medicine. Yeah. The second is let food be thy medicine. Right. So it's like two huge, like, these are wonderful, you know, kind of like civilization west of the West ideas that are kind of baked into the cake that we don't follow at all. Uh-huh. And so we don't really believe in informed consent as we get to this consensus model. Uh-huh. It becomes more and more fiat. It becomes more and more, I tell you that the risks are acceptable, not you decide as a sovereign individual yeah. if this are risks I accept. And the more and more that those are just autopilot, like our civilization is going to this place where there are hidden risks everywhere. Yeah. You know, our, it's not just in one category. It's not academia that's having a problem and food is not having a problem. Right. Or it's not food and engineering or bridges or, you know, finances or the derivative market again. Right. You know, it's not one of these things that's having a problem. It's, everything and so that means that the onus is on us if we're going to reform this system and not just like vote for anarchy like the amount of information we need is catastrophic we need networks like this where we talk interdisciplinary about like subject matter experts it's like yo this is this is cancer there's all this horrible evil being swept under the rug and our meat system, like our, our food system, is a uh, <laughs> little twist there. But, um, you know, it's hyper vulnerable. There are mm-hmm. four companies that- Four processes, right? Do yeah. like, I think 75 to 80% of all the beef in North America. And they have a stranglehold. The average age of ranching is like 65. Yeah. And getting older. So we're not replacing- a business that is break even or lose money. Yeah. And we're not willing to pay for it. We want fiat food. We want crappy food. Cops 15 cents to make and that they charge you a dollar for. And you're like, oh, that's a great price. But is it though, if it's worthless? Right. No, this is a great point too. Um, you buy the $1 bar right? It's grains covered in chocolate or sugar or whatever it is. And you think, oh, that's a good deal. I've got a cheap snack. You know, it's shelf stable calories, all of this. But the hidden cost of that is all the metabolic damage you're doing, right? Like you keep consuming that bar over time. Well, your quality of life is obviously going to be terrible, right? You're going to make yourself metabolically sick. And then on the back end of that, all of the healthcare expenses that you will incur as a result of that decision, you're not seeing that, right? That's not in the, the price tag of the bar. So when you buy something like like the carnivore bar, it is much pricier, but yep. actually I would consider that more of like an investment in yourself, right? That you're eating something that will keep you well and improve your health over time versus eating something that's more like a ticking time bomb. And And it's a really, it's a statement of, expression of value in yourself too like what is your time worth uh-huh. like what is your consciousness worth because when you imbibe something that is degrading your consciousness or degrading your ability to think on carnivore like my mental health is my chief benefit uh-huh. uh, i got dysbiosis but from the prophylactic in afghanistan and i couldn't get it right carnivore put all those symptoms in remission uh-huh. I don't think it cured me. So anytime I mess up, they're back. Yeah. Right? Anxiety, dysphoria, depression just goes right back. So yeah. it's like, well, do I have so little faith in my own ability to create value in the world that I don't want to invest in keeping that newfound sanity and health and consciousness and presence of mind where I can I can go out into the world with that burden and responsibility to pursue truth. And, and and take on the world and, and make myself an informed sovereign individual uh-huh. or 
do I have so little faith in my own ability that I want to just eat what's cheapest, most convenient, that has a nice big dopamine hit right now, right here, and then just go about my life on autopilot again. It's like one of these leads to, you know, a vibrant, like hopefully maybe something approximating a republic that's actually functioning where we have citizens that are involved, engaged, and advocate sensible policy. And then the other one is a corporate, you know, hell where everyone's this mindless slave that is just suppressed with chemistry, suppressed with cheap food. You know, that's why I'm wearing this shirt. This is eat beef, not bugs. <laughs> it's a great shirt. If we want meat in the future, just like if we want money in the future, we have to put it there. I know. It, don't there's no government that's going to do the right thing and do it for you. You right. you want real currency. You have to invest in Bitcoin. You have to educate people. If you want real food, you're going to have to put it there. Yeah, and not only will they not do it for you, but they're going to actively fight against it, right? So Bitcoin is obviously targeted. Uh, the high meat diets have been targeted recently by a lot of yeah. statesmen, let's say. Um, and I think one thing you said there I wanted to zero in on was it seems like there is no cure. Like a lot of people come to carnivore diet seeking a cure for ailments. And maybe people do get these like definitive final cures to things. But I've noticed with myself, I'm, I'm like you, like I had really bad symptoms from gut inflammation, autoimmune issues that I was able to put in remission through this diet. But if I deviate and I go back to eating something crappy, like they come right back. So you have to almost accept that this is an ongoing process. And it took me a long time to really psychologically make that shift where I was of a mindset of like, oh, just fix the problem, whatever it is. And once it's fixed, it's fixed and you can go back to doing whatever you want. It took me a lot of trial and error to re realize like, oh no, this is a whole nother lifestyle. You actually have to maintain this, this habit of eating and, and taking care of yourself such that you can be, um, you can flourish, frankly, as a human being. Absolutely. And the other key point there that maybe there's a connection here between fiat currency and fiat food, cheap food. It's that cheap dopamine, right? Where you're, it's a very low cost way to get a high dopamine kick. But again, there's there's a dark side to that, which is all of the the long term cost you're going to pay in terms of your health, your psychology, anxiety, whatever it is, whatever your symptoms or disease may be. And that's the same with fiat currency, right? It's like we, oh, there's a problem, right? There's an economic recession. So what do we do? Well, let's give everyone the cheap dopamine kick of easy money, just print the money, mm -hmm. quote unquote, stimulate demand, defer all the consequences. <laughs> and so it can't be just a coincidence. I don't think that these two dynamics share, they have so many parallels. Um, whereas you look at something like meat or Bitcoin, right? There's a proof of work involved that it's a, it's an expensive form of dopamine, let's say. And the, ex yeah. and this is, I get this from, uh, the Huberman Lab podcast, he often talks about cheap dopamine being the devil. Like you want sources of dopamine, you want dopamine kicks that involve a lot of effort. That's the key to building a uh, a successful life, really, that, that pays dividends over time versus the life that's based on cheap dopamine kicks, right? This would be like the drug addict or the alcoholic or the person, the, the person addicted to sugar, right? Or, or, someone that's maybe obese and eating improperly. That's a, those are all cheap dopamine lifestyles. Yep. Whereas the expensive dopamine is, you know, the guys that work out, run marathons, run businesses, get up early, you know, train, all these things. Um, yeah. And there's a, an appropriate, you know, um, neuroendocrine response to all those different things. Like when you are exerting yourself and you have the accompanying inflammation, you have the sympathetic and parasympathetic systems playing off each other, you know, there's a compensatory response that's equal to the effort that it's mm -hmm. going to get there. And mm -hmm. so there's a natural balance, a reset mechanism. Whereas if you just have the good parts, if you just have the cheap good parts, 
you're building up a resistance to it mm-hmm. so that your normal state is dysphoric, is That's right. unhappy. And so all these like cheap solutions, you know, these um, basically band-aids that aren't really getting to the heart of the solution, mm-hmm. which I agree with kind of your thesis every since, you know, 1971, you know, we uh, have this swoop, you know, very recently we've seen like, the, with the train derailment, our infrastructure, our physical infrastructure, our physical food, our monetary systems, everything is falling apart. We are not doing the hard, slow work. You know, we, mm-hmm. we just want to start a startup and spac it out and then cash <laughs> out and leave everyone hanging high and dry. Mm-hmm. You know, and so in everything you do, it is... Um, I like the inquiry conversation mm-hmm. you're having again with Peterson. Mm-hmm. Uh, an inquiry to of you know trying to find truth, truth as the definition of uh, what satiates, mm-hmm. you know, the inquiry. And I mm-hmm. think with um, carnivore, we kind of find out that meat is what our bodies have really been craving for. So it is the truth of what the human body needs, mm-hmm. but. It, all of these things being informed, you know, with systems, you, it's always an inquiry. There's no cure. There's mm-hmm. no cure to consciousness. It's mm-hmm. consciousness is the opportunity to constantly inquire and pursue that truth in every endeavor you do. There's no category of your life where you can just autopilot and sleep through it. Yeah. Whether it's your body, your movement, your health, your food, your job, like your philosophy, like every part of that needs an active mind. And that's, that sounds exhausting, but that's tough. (laughs) Yeah. That's the way life is, right? You either take responsibility for these things or you get a bad outcome, frankly, right? That's just, it's really that simple. And where the proof of work is absent, systems seem to degrade. Right, that's yep. what we're saying here. The cheap dopamine thing is like when you remove that element of work, right? The the purposeful allocation of energy across time towards a, a valued end. You take that out, right, and to say, "Oh, just give me the the band aid solution," right? Print the money, take the opiate, eat the high fructose corn syrup, ice cream sundae, whatever it is. It's like feels great in the moment. Devastating long term consequences. Um, but I love that. I just wanted to echo back the framing though. You said truth is that which satiates inquiry. That's really, that's a a powerful quote. Um, and so these things are all related then, right? So like sound money, sound food, maybe sound mind, sound body. I mean, they're all, they're all indispensable to living a fulfilled life, right? That you can actually step into the world, identify what skills and talents you have, what needs there are in the world, and then try to find a fittedness between the two things. You can't do that without health and wealth and autonomy. So these things are all, I mean, they seem to be very deeply interrelated to me. Right. I mean, you know, free speech is often something that you know, in this space that we talk about a lot, you know, philosophically, but like, that's a mute point if you don't have your health. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, your ability to speak um, is dependent on your health. We have this biological reality that, you know, money is this game we're playing with other Mm -hmm. people, Mm -hmm. but you have a pre-existing game that is don't get too cold, don't get too hot. Right. Don't run out of water. Don't right. run out of food. Yeah. You know, the, you're playing with reality itself. It, it's immutable. And when people use food as a weapon, like that is, that's where things get really scary. Yeah. Because all of the politics, philosophy, and, and talking is not going to be enough if you can't, you know, have some control over your actual sovereignty in that real world element. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those things are easy to get, but as carnivores, it, it's dawned on me the vulnerability, the intense vulnerability of not being able to make food. Like, cow takes two years to grow from calf to 
the age of slaughter. It's like, you know, and there's some 65 year old guy out there like doing it just because he loves it, you know, and he's not making any money on this. Whereas the packing companies are kind of like gouging the the system for every dollar they can get Mm -hmm. so that we have cheap beef. And it's like, well, as that system falls apart, they will charge more and more and more. Yeah. Less and less work. Yeah. Same thing's happening with energy because it's non-fungible. Mm-hmm. It, the same thing if, you know, this is the currency of consciousness, mm-hmm. you know, energy is the, is the master resource of our, our civilization. And if we don't get off our addiction to these lies that we keep mm-hmm. telling ourselves, mm-hmm. there's going to be a real hard like moment, just like there is for people who have autoimmune conditions. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, I can no longer abuse my body. Yeah. I, I've reached this wall. Yeah. And civilization is about ready to have that same kind of moment. And hopefully, we make wise choices. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And, you know, obviously, food and energy, they are the same thing. So, again, we're describing the same dynamic, whether it's the food going into the complex system that is your individual organism, or it is the energy going into the complex system that is the global economy, right? We, these You need quality, right? You need high, high nutrient-dense foods and energy-dense um, energy sources, I guess. And uh, the, the one point I think we should hit on this, the four, I guess this is an oligopoly on meat processing in the U.S., right? Like you said, there's four processors. I'm told, too, that the cattle ranchers sell their cattle to these processors like 60 to 90 days before slaughter. Yep. And I've heard that in that time frame, they're fed those last 60 to 90 days of their life, they are fed absolute industrial garbage. So the cattle, like the beef that you see in grocery stores, the vast majority of it, you know, I would assume, like you said, about 80%, um, has a very poor finish to it, let's say. Um, And so we see things like the beef initiative picking up where people are just buying beef directly from the ranchers or going through microprocessors instead. And I would expect that, you know, to your point that we're going to hit the wall at some point, you're going to have people wake up to the reality that, that, you know, the food's a scam and that there's, there all, there are alternative channels to go through to get higher quality food. Yeah. And, and the, the fraud is, like I said, in everything. I, I think it really is axiomatic. So like when you, when you get um, a cow, it, it's sold by the pound, uh-huh. you know, so it, you, you get it as heavy as you could possibly get it. If they could inject mercury into it, they would, uh-huh. uh, it dies too fast, but you know, it's like it, as much carbs as they can give it, they give it non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and then mm-hmm. non-alcoholic fatty liver disease makes the marbling in the meat. So that makes it softer and easier and more tasty for us to eat. It also milds the flavor. Mm-hmm. So it's less grassy, less like gamey mm-hmm. and more just like our standard beef flavor. Mm-hmm. So that all those metabolic processes are bad for the cow. They're probably inflammatory. Um, they're probably suboptimal. All the steric acid is gone. All the omega-3 anti-inflammatory fats are gone. It's debatable like how bad it is um, to consume that. But what I found when I was trying to work with it is that I would get 60% of the yield. So right off the top, boom, 40% of the meat was water. Mm. So grass-fed, grass-finished. I do only regenerative agriculture from Joyce Farms in the carnivore bar. Mm-hmm. Partly that's because I want to inoculate myself from criticism that you know cows are destroying the world. I don't think they are, mm-hmm. but feedlots, that industrial waste step, mm-hmm. certainly bad. Yeah, because when they when they uh, they're basically on concrete, that manure doesn't go anywhere except they sell it to raise vegetables. But when it's going on concrete, it's not the methanotropes, the, the methane producing bacteria. They are part of a life cycle that that nurtures the soil mm. and has this nitrogen exchange, nitrogen fixing with the soil microbes that make plants grow. 
And so that methane naturally breaks down. When you're crapping on concrete and you're eating grains, that industrial waste, you're changing the pH in the cow's gut radically. Mm. It's way more acidic, way more uh, prone to disease. Then they sometimes have to give antibiotics. Typically, the antibiotic or the hormone risk in the meat, it's, it's overblown. But it does kind of just, in general, mean that you have an inflamed, sick animal mm. that is not in concert with nature. So regenerative agriculture is the idea that carbon neutral ship has sailed, that we need carbon negative. Yeah. We actually need to sequester that carbon. And uh, you know, just a shout out to the shepherdess. This is her shirt. Uh, she's like a regenerative rancher who's on YouTube. Yeah. But uh, I just use the shirt because it's so emblematic uh, <laughs> problem that if we want that beef, you know, we got to think about sustainable systems that don't need inputs. Yeah. And one of that, the industrial waste, not only is it bad for the cow, bad for the environment, suboptimal nutritionally, probably a little overblown, um, but still relevant if you're mm -hmm. trying to dial sure. in health. But the other two are pretty concerning. Especially when we're thinking about natural gas being used, mostly coming from Russia to make ammonia in Germany, which feeds the world. Yeah. And it doesn't really feed the world. It placates the world with empty carbs. Right. So that ammonia is used to create empty carbs for humans and livestock, which creates all the cascading problems. Mm. And so when you're feeding it this thing that's tied to another petrofuel, you know, it's subject to rampant increases in cost because that natural gas has to be piped in, has to make the ammonia. And then, uh, then when they make the ammonia, then they have to barrel it, then they have to ship it, then they have to, they have to get it all the places that raise cereal grains, which deplete the soil further. Mm -hmm. And there's a finite amount of topsoil. So hmm. when you're looking at it from a strategic point of view, that's just a lot of vulnerability. There's too many inputs in grain-fed beef for the amount of return at a 60% yield. It's like any kind of price reduction just collapses because you're just paying for the water. Mm. You know, I want to pay for the meat. And I'm getting a much better, healthier mixture, as well as all those other benefits when I do regenerative. And so mm. that's what we do with the carnivore bar. But... I try not to be dogmatic. I try not to be overly <laughs> hateful of anything. No. And I don't know if this is the complete everything you would need to survive. Like, I'm open-minded, but that's part of the inquiry. Yeah. Is yeah. just keep on asking those questions of like, what's the most sustainable, healthy, like vibrant thing you can do to be a citizen of the world? Yeah. No, it's a great point. That That is the entrepreneurial process, right? That ongoing endless search um okay we we hit our time limit here so philip man really great conversation could you please let my audience know where they could find you on the internet it's a uh, carnivorebar.com so we have a twitter and instagram the carnivore bar um we're easy to find awesome we'll put all that in the show notes and uh thanks again man great to have you on yeah thanks for having me